0: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to continue our series called Take the Land. And today I want to talk to you around the idea of keys to taking the land. Not just hype you up to take the land, but give you some practical steps today about how we can do that. So Joshua chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. It's on page 200 in my Bible. What? Oh, you're telling me to have them stand? I'm not there yet. If you don't have your Bible, I'm getting direction from everybody this morning. <laughs> you probably eat beans in your chili, don't you, Ken? If you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you. It's a maroon book. That's a Bible. You can go to Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. It'll also be on the screens for those of you who cheat. Go ahead and uh, stand for the reading and the honoring and the reading of God's Word this morning. Joshua chapter five, verse one through fifteen says this. So it was, when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted. Another translation says, it melted like wax before a flame. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again for the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill called the Hill of the Foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. Verse 5. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt, they have not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war, who had come out of Egypt, who were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. That's uh, pretty intense there, isn't it? This is to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not yet been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, all stayed in their place in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the the reproach from Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place shall be called Gilgal, which means to be rolled away. It's called that till this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate all of the produce, not all of it, but they ate of the produce of the land on the day of the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Verse 12, then manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, because Joshua was a little crazy, (laughs) and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us, or are you our adversary? Are you for us or are you against us?" So the man answered and said, No, that's reassuring. (laughs) But as the commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would add to it by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, there is a lot going on in this text, isn't there? Some of the guys are a little uncomfortable. I saw your faces like, what is he going to ask us to do today? Look, this is a dangerous water that we're in. But let's talk about what's going on in this passage of scripture as it pertains to taking the land. There are some keys that we have to live in to appropriately take the land. Somebody would talk to me this morning in worship and said there's a a two-way exchange that's going on. That that God gives the land and that we take the land. that, That God gives us something but we have to do something on our part to go and take it. That's why our sermon title isn't. Uh, receive the land it's not hope for the land but it is take the land because there's some aggression on our part action on our part as a church and as individuals that we have to do to step into all the promises of God now I know that there's sometimes in my life where I receive a word from the Lord in due season and man it is a good word God has given me a promise and I sit there and I wait for the promise to be fulfilled has anybody ever been here like, oh God, you told me that you would do this, now now confirm your word. And God's like, okay, I did promise that I would do that, but you have to move. You have to do something about it. And so today we want to talk about keys to taking the land from this portion of scripture. So last week we read uh, that the, the Jordan River was raging. It was the time of harvest and the nation of Israel had to step in the water first and it required action on their part and the waters heaped up some, I don't know, about 25 miles up the road in another little village and I was just wondering what those people were feeling in that village right there as the, as the waters heaped. Um, and then they crossed over on dry land and And and, and they they enter in, and it says that when the people in the land had heard what God had done for the children of Israel, their hearts melted. Now already, when the spies went to survey the land with Rahab, you remember that they said, "We had heard how God delivered you from Egypt. We had heard that when He dried up the water of the Red Sea, that our hearts within us melted." So the people have already known that this God that goes before these people is serious about his people. Now in this time, in ancient biblical times, everybody, every people group that occupied a land, occupied a land that a God had dominion over. Does that make sense? There was a specific God that had dominion over this land and so when another opposing group came in it wasn't army versus army it was God versus God that's really what it was and so that's why the Egyptians were so uh, dominant because they had multiple gods that went before them so they thought but God did his, uh, his best of tearing down those strongholds whenever he sent the 10 plagues that actually took down every one of the gods that the Egyptians Uh, uh, worshipped, so you can go back and study that on your own. But in this particular uh, land and time, you you hear throughout the Old Testament uh, the God called Baal, or B-A-A-L. It's like Baal or something like that, but I don't speak that language, so I don't say it right. Um, And so the God of Baal is not just the God of Baal, but actually that word Baal is given to multiple gods. And so if you go back when God was talking to Abraham about this land, in early book of Genesis, he specifically tells them about one God to never worship. There's one God that they should never give credence to, that they should never talk to. Now, this is God talking to Abraham. We understand that Abraham shouldn't bow before any other God. But God was saying that this one in particular is actually going to rob a generation from you. And his name was Molech. M-O-L-A-C-H, Molech. Molach. And the God Molech was... The God that the people thought the way to appease Moloch was to in fact sacrifice newborn children towards him. It's the most demonic thing it involves children and sacrifices. This is why for me abortion will never be a political issue. It will always be a spiritual issue. It will always be us tearing down the God of Molach. That's what that is. It's not a a right or left, it's not a Democrat or Republican, it's not making them safe, easy and affordable, it is about tearing down a stronghold and never giving credence to the God of Molech. If God meant it then, he means it now. So when the people of Israel were going into this land, the reason why the people in the land were so terrified is because their gods did not control water the same way that the Israelites God controlled water. It was just one little, one little feat that God did that all of a sudden melted the hearts of the people like wax before them. And look how fast this news traveled. This was in uh, the Jordan Valley and all of the Canaanite uh, kings by the sea were terrified. Now the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. So this goes from Lebanon to the Gaza Strip. That's how long that, uh, that, uh, that land, uh, what am I trying to say here? The beach line is there. So there were different kings, Canaanite kings, that ruled different territories. And each Canaanite king that ruled a different territory worshipped a specific god of that territory. And what they're saying is that this one god that goes before this Israelite people is so much scarier than the thousands of gods that we worship that our hearts melt so bad within us that we can't even fight against you. So this is what I want to say to you. There are sometimes in charismatic and Pentecostal circles where we give more credence to the to the third demons and, 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 and devil that fell out of heaven then we give power to the one God that created them. We give more credence to trying to name demons and, and call them out and binding this and, and tearing down this and, and hoping that we can name this and talking to this and you have to understand that Jesus only asked one demon one his name was one time and it happened to be a thousand of them. Every other time he just said get out of here. right? So there are times where we don't need to tear down anything. We need to let God go before us. And if he does what he does, then he takes care of the spiritual realm of the land. So we can't try to hope that God would reveal strongholds to us. God is going to reveal strongholds because as light goes forward, dark doesn't like it very much. But we have to know that when God moves on our behalf, it melts the hearts of the demons in the land. Thousands of years these demons had been able to occupy this land. One move of God and already they're ready to give up their dominion. We do not need to be afraid of the dominion of the enemy. We need to know that we have an enemy. But we also have a defeated enemy. Now, I want you to see that Jesus, or our God, excuse me, through his move here, had already prepaid for the defeat of the enemy, but it still required Joshua and his people to fight. So can I tell you, the land has been given to us. The authorities and the strongholds and the opposition of the enemy in this land, the dominion, has been taken care of. We're going to stay vigilant. We're going to stay a church of prayer. We're going to make sure that it doesn't come back because the Bible is clear that if it goes and we don't do anything about it, that it comes back seven times fold, right? So we want to make sure that because the army of the Lord goes before us, that we uh, already have the victory, but we still got to fight some battles. Does everybody, is everybody good with that? But what does that mean for us today? So the children of Israel cross over and Joshua's like, man, that was awesome. And God's like, okay, now we're going to have minor surgery on everybody. Now, you know why this was minor surgery for Joshua? He had already been circumcised when he was a little boy. And the difference between minor and major surgery is who's getting operated on. right? So Joshua's like, look, it's just a little deal. It doesn't hurt. It's going to be fine. But I need all the guys to come together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this rock here. I'm going to sharpen it real sharp. And then we're going to circumcise everybody. And the guys are like, no, no, you can't do that. No, but they wanted to do it. Why? Because the sign of circumcision was a covenant sign of relationship between the children of Israel and their God. And so the children of Israel hadn't been able to... Operate in the side, their part of the covenant, because they had been on the move in the wilderness. There was not a body of water that flowed well enough so that it would take all the unclean parts of the surgery away, and so and, and they were on the move. There wasn't a, a place where they could actually uh, take on their part of the covenant. So you know what God did in the wilderness? He sustained the covenant by His name. That's what He did in the wilderness. Look, if you're in a wilderness season right now where it doesn't feel like you're getting much from God and it doesn't feel like you can give much to God, you have to understand that something about the wilderness is that God is sustaining your covenant with him by his name and his name alone. But when you go into the promised land, when you go to take the land, it requires a different kind of covenantal relationship between us and God. And we see that from these people. Now we're not going to get too graphic here, but I do want to give you just a little bit of teaching about the not the pain of circumcision, because we can get that, but the healing process of circumcision. Circumcision takes one day for every eight, for how old you are to heal. One day for every age you are, right? So these guys, most likely this generation, because they were 40 years in the wilderness, but 40 is just a time of completion, so it could have been between 30 and 45 years in the wilderness, we don't know exact times, so they're between 30 and 45 years old. So we'll just take it and we'll say 40 because the Bible says 40. So each one of these guys, the oldest person getting circumcised is 40 years old. That means the first thing they do after they walk across the Jordan River is take 40 day break to make sure they heal. Now think of, no, don't think about it too much, but it's a pretty invasive surgery. And it's all of the men, and it says that all of the warriors had already died off. Everybody that was familiar with war, everybody that had a taste of war, everybody that had engaged with war, they were part of the reproach of Egypt that was found on Mount Sinai when Moses came down from receiving the Ten Commandments and they had built a golden calf pointing back to Egypt. That's the reproach of Egypt that God has to roll away here. So the children of Israel had not tasted war, they had not tasted battle, they had not tasted pain like they're about to taste. They walk into the promised land right on the front line of Jericho, one of the oldest cities in all of the world. Still there. A fortified city with a big old wall around it. The people there, they're men of war. The people there, they know how to kill other people. They know how to do damage. And what does God require of his people before? Is first, before you take the land, give me a part of yourself. I want you to see in this text here that this is the ultimate sign of God's mercy on the people, but it is also the ultimate sign of the people's trust in their God. That God, we are going to, we're going to spend the time necessary to renew the covenant with you. We're going to sit on the doorstep of our enemy for 40 days until we're all healed up so that we can make sure we're in right relationship with you. It's incredible. They didn't go with swords drawn ready to take the land. They went in humility and relationship with God. This is why the Bible is so true when it says that God resists the proud but elevates the humble. It says that he pushes back. That word resist means to actively push back against you. So listen, if you're feeling resistance in your life from the Lord, you have to look for areas of pride that you've not dealt with. We gotta take the appropriate time in our church and specifically with our men to make sure that our covenant relationship with God is right. That how we lead our family, our friends, our finances, how we lead in the church is is set up right. That God has sustained us in a wilderness season by his name but to move forward it requires steps and action on our part. Circumcision, yeah, was a, a sign of trust but it was also a distinguishable characteristic of the nation of Israel. It made them live different. It made them look different. It distinguished them from the world around them. So here's key one of taking the land. Are you ready for this? I'm not going to ask everybody to get circumcised. Because the Bible says that we should have a circumcision of the heart, not the flesh. So what I will ask is that everybody is required to live different. We have to live distinguishable from the world. See, there is a lie going around in church world right now of two things. Of one, God's grace doesn't require us to change anything. See, God's grace requires that we can enter into relationship with God through Jesus and Jesus alone. But part of that grace act of God means that we begin to look more like Jesus every day. In fact, in the Bible, it tells us that we should put off the ways of the flesh. That we should take on the acts of the Spirit. That we should deny the flesh. That we should, that we should, that we should not be conformed to the ways of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't say, hey, uh, uh, you can just uh, experience God's grace and not change anything about you. The Bible says that there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And God's best for our life is when we try to act more like Jesus every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the circumcision of the heart. It means that we no longer give credence to the ways and the desires of the flesh because we have cut those parts out of our hearts, and we live covenant relationship with God. Covenant relationship with God means that when we make a mistake, he doesn't run away from us. That's covenant relationship with God. What would it look like if we lived covenant relationship with one another? What what would our marriages look like if we decided that we weren't gonna look like the world, but we were gonna live covenant relationship with one another? We're gonna live in covenant relationship with our marriage and covenant relationship with our church and with our kids. Oh, I'm telling you what, we would look different than the world. Oh man, that guy really ticked me off. He kicked me right in the kneecap. If you want to see a breach in covenant relationship, you watch men's league basketball. Especially church men's league basketball. I don't know what it is, but you put men's league basketball on the court together and nobody knows Jesus till the end. You know what I'm talking about? Or flag football. That's almost just as bad. We used to play flag football Turkey Bowl every Thanksgiving with the church that my dad pastored. I, I happened to be on staff. He called me the family associate pastor, which just meant I do everything that he doesn't want to do. And we had a turkey bowl, so I had to put it on. Now, we had different families in the church similar to this one. We had our family, which was the Winklers, and then we had the Millers, that was a family, and we had the Blumenthals was a family, and, and then we had these hodgepodge of other people that weren't the family, so they made their own family. You're... In your mind right now, you're familying up at Day Spring. Okay, we, yeah, yeah, okay, we have the same thing. So we would all try to play football together at Thanksgiving. And we wouldn't do like, we would picked teams. It was like each family brought their own team. Yeah. And there was this big rivalry against the Winkler family and the Miller family. Every year they just jumped back and forth. Who won? Who won? Who won? Who won? And one year it was so bad. I had organized all this stuff. We got together, we prayed. It was so bad I had to stop playing and start reffing the game. So I stopped playing. I started reffing the game. Listen, this is how bad it is. I made a call, good call by the way, and my uncle cussed me out. He thought I was going against the family. What did I tell him? You're not acting very Christian. Now we're going at it. Oh, Christian, you want to see Christian? Now, my uncle, he was born in the world. He was redeemed by God. But let me tell you, the world knocks at his door sometimes. And he feels like his family's attacked. He'll go after the person attacking his family, even if it's his family. He'd bite himself if he got in the way. So we went toe-to-toe. I mean, we were going fist to cuffs, and he's a big dude. I was never gonna hit him because I wouldn't have lived. But he cussed me up one side and down the other. And then we had to go have Thanksgiving together. <laughs> and as he was putting the, fr- the, the turkey in the deep fryer that year, I was praying in the spirit and with understanding. In the spirit because I didn't want to pray what I wanted to pray and I prayed with understanding so that I could get it in there at least a little bit. God, let the oil get on him a little bit. <laughs> you know, God, just let him fill the burn. Anoint him with all the turkey oil. Okay. What did we have to do? We had to make that right. Conflict is inevitable. But covenant relationship doesn't cut out from conflict. Sees it all the way through. We need to be diligent to stop leaving churches when we get upset because it doesn't go the way that we thought it should go. Stay in covenant relationship. It says that there is a blessing from the beard of oil from the oil that drips from the beard of Aaron when the brethren dwell together in unity. That's where God commands a blessing. That's where the enemy is going to attack us the most. Is that our covenantal relationship. So God said first things first. Live different. Be distinguishable. Don't cloak yourself in the ways of the world to win the world. That's not how you're going to win the world. You don't look like the world to win the world. You look like the church to win the world. Jesus said it this way. Hey, guess what? You're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus didn't say, take your light, put it under a bushel, and go to the bars and try to win the world. Jesus didn't say, cloak yourself in the appearance of the world so that you can bamboozle them into the kingdom of God. No, Jesus said, be the light of the world. Be distinguishably different. Be in covenant relationship. Look different than the world does and have a different result in the church. But if the church looks too much like the world, we don't wonder why we don't have a a say in what's going on in our region anymore. We have to live different. Be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know what a city on a hill in this time period looked like? It looked like a city on a hill. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? But a city on a hill was a fortified city that was noticeable because it held up the trade routes in the region. It means that nothing economic or military happened without the city on the hill knowing about it and letting it through. When the church capitulates to culture. And when people in the church begin to wrap themselves to look like the world, the church gives up its right to be the city on a hill to stop the economic force and the military force that the enemy is trying to bring in. And what we do is we hope that somebody in Washington will fix all of the problems. But as my good friend, who I don't know but I listen to, Tony Evans says, God will not fix a problem at the White House that should be in the church house. Right? So to take the land, we have to be different. We have to come across the the waters of the land. And we have to say, look, if circumcision is required, at least of our hearts, then God, we're going to be about that. God, what what are you asking us to do? What are you asking? How are you asking us to live? What do we got to do to be different in this area? What does covenant relationship really look like so that we can take the land? We have to be distinctively different. Oh, I know you. You're one of those people at DaySpring. I say, yeah. How do you know that? Because you got joy. You know, you come into work, and this job is a nine-to-five train wreck. And you come into here, and you just bring joy with you wherever you go. That's just different. You people are different over there. I say, yep. That's us. We're different. We're way. We're way different. You're different. You got, you're just something different about you. Like, like your marriage is healthy. What makes it healthy? I do whatever she tells me to. <laughs> right? I get the last word as long as it's yes dear. Every time. It's different. Why is it different? It's different because we choose to be different. It doesn't mean we're not going to argue or fight. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have conflict. It just means we're different means that in Deborah and I's life, how we choose to be different, we never throw words around like divorce or separation. We're not going to do that. Why? Because we're in covenant with one another. It means I'm going to let her down and she's going to let me down. But as long as we're in covenant with one another, we can deal with the letdown. Because we're different. Is this too heavy? Because even if it was, I was still going to push a little harder. (laughs) Because I don't care. We're called to be different. God said he would pour out his spirit in the last days. Old men would see visions. Young men would dream dreams. I switched those up so you can switch them back. (laughs) Maid servants and women and all of these things. It's inclusive. It's all of these things. But to really be a vessel ready to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you have to be a vessel that's submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to live different, we have to circumcise our hearts and ask God, what do you require of us now? I read an incredible article the other day about how church shouldn't, we shouldn't have our schedules keep us from church, but the church should be the thing that we clear our schedules for. I said that I think right, and I'm not trying to knock anybody that has travel sports or anything like that, but I am gonna just say that once we get the church from being the nucleus of nucleus of our family and, and we start to wander out and we, and we fill our schedule with all of these different things and then when our kids in college walk away from the faith and we say, God, what happened? And we say, oh, our nucleus changed. Because our nucleus changed, other voices could come in. And so I'm saying, what am I saying? We gotta live different. Dayspring Church, it requires us to live different. We gotta be about the things of God. We gotta be about the house of God. We gotta be about the people of God. If we're about those three things, we're gonna take this land. So God is requiring of us to circumcise our hearts, to take the time necessary to make sure we're dialed in to his leading. The other thing that they do is this. It says in verse 10, now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. They ate of the produce of the land the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the, on the very same day. Then manna ceased. Manna ceased. Manna stopped. It was no moss on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna but they ate of the food of the land of Cana that year. This is the second time that Passover is celebrated with the nation of Israel. The first time Passover is celebrated, it's to symbolize and to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. The second time Passover is celebrated, it's to symbolize and celebrate their deliverance to the land. It's amazing in Jewish culture and history how important the season of Passover is. If you think about the Bible as a whole and you look at they entered the land on the 14th day of the month, which was the day of Passover, and that was their day of deliverance from Egypt, and that was their day of deliverance to the land. And you go to the New Testament and you think about Jesus, and when he was crucified, he had to be taken down before the start of Passover, which was our deliverance from sin. God is incredible, isn't he? He can write a story so much better than we can. So stop trying to write the story of your life. Because it's not working out well. Just let God take the pen. It's much easier. Passover is celebrated not in the wilderness, but in the land. It says that they ate of the produce of the land, and manna had ceased. Remember in Joshua chapter one, or three, or four, or three. (laughs) Joshua chapter three. It says that the waters were raging because it was the season of harvest. It was the season of harvest. God had specifically timed it to where when they walked into the land there was food waiting for them. God is the provider. God is the provider. So what did they do? with what God had provided them. They gave it back. They served and celebrated Passover. But you have to look as that manna stopped. And I think I said this last week, but some of us are praying, God, we need a manna word from today. And God's like, no, you're in the promised land. You don't get manna anymore. You gotta go work for that word. You gotta go get in the word and dig it out now. Look, I'm requiring you to go a little bit deeper than when you were in the wilderness. See, when you were in the wilderness, I'd give you a word to sustain you. When you were in the wilderness, I would send a vision your way. When you were in the wilderness, I would give you a word in season. But now that you're in the land, we're gonna have to dig deeper wells. We're gonna have to not hear from God the way we heard him in the wilderness because now we're in the land, we gotta take the produce ourselves. Now, am I saying that there's no word in season, that there's no this, that there's no that? I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying it will look different in the land. So what is the point here? They lived delivered. They lived delivered. Too many Christians are living as orphans in God's kingdom. Too many Christians, maybe in this room, are living as people who feel like we have to maybe possibly maybe get God's goodness when God is saying you are no longer an orphan but you have been adopted into the kingdom of God. You are now a son or a daughter where you can cry out and call him by his name for you which is Father. You're no longer cast out. You're no longer abandoned. You're no longer let down. You are a child of God. We have to live delivered. Romans 8 says this, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs; heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Do you know what an heir to the refrigerator looks like? You know what a guest in my house looks like. Hey, uh, can I have a cookie? You know what Charlotte looks like? Cookie on her mouth. Where'd you get that cookie? Oh, I was in my room under the pillow. Don't worry about it, Dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Children and heirs act different than guests do. we got to come into God's house as children. But he says something powerful here that we, if children, we are joint heirs with Christ. We're victorious. We don't live defeated anymore. We live delivered. So when we see a big fortified city, we say, yeah, buddy, I'm about to get that city. When we look at our budget and it looks a little too bad now, when we live delivered, we say, okay, there's a little bit more month than there is money, but God has provided if I am faithful. It changes our perspective and our mindset. You have to live delivered. I believe there's a fresh start for somebody today. There's a fresh start. You've been living as an orphan in God's kingdom and he wants to say to you that you're a son or a daughter of the God most high. That fear has no authority in your life anymore. That if you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit's leading, you're going to live and walk delivered in a way that you've never lived and walked before. The next one is, they live devoted. Remember Joshua stands in front of that big dude and he says, with sore and drawn, hey whose side are you on anyway? Have you ever wanted to ask God that? God what are you doing? Are you for me or are you for Deborah? <laughs> God, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Huh? You got a big sword. This is, I mean, I'm telling you, it just shows us Joshua's a little crazy. And I like that about Joshua. And the commander of the Lord's army says, no. No, whose side are you on? See, I'm looking, this land, I'm looking to see who's going to be on God's side. That's what I'm looking for, says the commander of the Lord's army. Are the Canaanites going to be on God's side? Are the Israelites going to be on God's side? You're my people. I hope it's you. Now, have you ever asked God a question and didn't get the answer you are hoping for? It's because God's playing the long game here. He's got something different that he's trying to cook up for you. Joshua says, okay, what else? The commander of the Lord's army says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I wonder if we, if we walk past God's holiness sometimes. We live our lives in such a way where we check in with Him once every three weeks, but we don't live our lives in such a way that we're devoted to the things of God in our everyday life. And God would say, listen, live devoted. Some of us are just coming against God so much with our life that it feels like He's not for us and He's just asking us, will you just live for me? Will you be devoted to me? Some of us are asking for more gifts of the Spirit and God's asking us to show him the fruit of the Spirit. We're like, God, bring more healing. God, bring more tongues and interpretation. God, bring more of this. And he's like, hey, I need some more love and some more joy and some more peace. When you get squeezed, I need a little bit more patience while you're driving, Cody. And I'm like, we're working on that one, Lord. I told somebody the other day I wasn't praying for patience anymore because I don't like to, to go through those seasons. I'm just praying for breakthroughs. <laughs> we got to live devoted to God. God is never going to be at the level of our thoughts. So we've got to train our, our thoughts and our hearts to look a little higher. When we're devoted to God, we got to look a little higher than what we're looking right now. At situations with our kids, we got to look a little higher. At circumstances in our life, we've got to look a little higher. What God's doing in our church and our community, we got to look a little higher. Isaiah 55 says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. So as far as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours. You are not going to out-strategize, out-creativize, out-think, out-deliver on God, ever. His ways are not our ways. So there's some business owners in the room that you've been trying to do it your own way, but if you devote your business to God and say, God, you give me wisdom for this situation, he's going to bring the wisdom. God, you give me this wisdom for this. There's some teachers in the room, you've got an out-of-control classroom. God, I need your wisdom of how to deal with these kids. He'll give it to you. We're trying to make it work in our own understanding while we're out there. And then come in here to check in with God to see how we did. And he's saying, look, I want to walk with you while you're out there. Devote yourself to me. Get my thoughts into your word, into your world, and see what happens. So three keys to taking the land. This is a, these last two weeks have been a very maturing word. And I don't like that. I ask God, just let me preach. This is no, we got to grow up a little bit. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. He says, no, we gotta grow up a little bit. If you're gonna take the land, we need maturity to take the land. So if it feels like, man, I was heavy, I hope it's heavy because God's given us a land, but we have to take it. And he's not gonna take it with a bunch of people that aren't serious about taking it. And I think we are, that's why you're here. So what do we gotta do? We have to live different. We have to circumcise our hearts back to the things of the Lord. We have to live delivered. No more can we walk into this place defeated because the enemies attacked us all week. We are victorious. We have the victory. We gotta walk in the victory. And we have to live devoted to the things of God. Colossians says to be rooted, equipped and built up. So we gotta get rooted in the church and in God's word. We've got to be equipped and released to do the work of ministry. And I forgot the other one. And then we'll be built up in our lives.